Good morning, Tuolumne Community Baptist Church. So glad that you're tuning into our podcast. This is Sunday morning. It's a rainy Sunday morning. It's a bit chilly outside too. But I'm so glad that you're tuning in. This week we're starting a new book of the Bible. I'm very excited about that. We uh, did finish up Judges. If you haven't heard it yet, um, Judges uh, chapters 19 through 21 uh, just got posted, so you should be able to find it and listen to that. I'm so glad to be out of the book of Judges. Now, let me say this. It, it's not that it, it's the living word of God, and it's important that we see all of it, uh, not skip over the parts that are hard for us to understand or, or hard for us to even hear the words that were spoke at the end of Judges. It was a very difficult time, and it was a very difficult message, but we needed to hear it. We need to know that we can't live without a Savior, um, or that's the type of world we would wind up in. Well, today we're moving to First Thessalonians. I'm so glad to be there. It's, it's a wonderful. We're going to do First, first and Second Thessalonians. There's only five chapters in the first book and three chapters in the second, so it's not going to take long. A couple months we'll get through uh, both First and Second Thessalonians, but there's so much good meat here that we need to hear and understand about ourselves, about the return of Christ, that he is coming. Um, it's, it's really spelled out here in the book of Thessalonians. So I hope you enjoy. I hope you stay with it, uh, with us to hear all all first and second. Uh, God bless you. I miss you all. I hope you come out to see us here soon here in Tuolumne. Service will get started in just a second. This morning we are going to start a new book in the Bible. I know it's not new to you, certainly not new to me, but it's been a long time since I've done an in-depth study on the book of Thessalonians in the New Testament. It's a powerful place to be. I think as you hear today, I'm going to spend a lot of time today just introducing to you to Thessalonica, also called Salon, the Salonica, um, another name for it. This city is a very commercial, military, and political city back then, as it has been throughout history uh, to today. In Paul's day, it had about 200,000 inhabitants, which for that day was a very large city. It was very large. With a large, enough poop, with a large enough Jewish population to warrant a synagogue. And understand, it, it only, in order to warrant a synagogue in a city, there has to be at least 10 Jews. So we know that there was a population of Jews that had a synagogue in this city. It was the capital of Macedonia province. Today, Thessaloniki is also known by its adopted name, Salonika. It's in Greece, the second largest city, currently about one million. Thessalonia was under Roman rule from 1886 B.C. to 379 A.D., it was declared a free city, allowing it to be governed by the Greek system of 
This is an interesting word, politarchus, politarchus. It kind of reminds of politics. It's, it's what it really means, but it was called politarchus, rulers of the citizens and an assembly. They were fearing of losing their status, and that may have helped fuel the mob against Paul. The term polyarches was also found in the Bible, was only found in the Bible up until somewhat recent times when archaeological discoverers have verified that Luke used the correct term of the day. <sighs> Let's go to the next slide. There's a map of where it's at. Now, it's, I know it's hard to see, but to, to my upper left, which would be your upper right, you can see the green area, that's where Thessalonica is. And there's a couple of fingers that came out into the, into the ocean there, the Aegean Sea, that actually gave them protection for ships to come in and to go out and, you know, during storms, that was the place to be because it had this protected inlet that was right there. All the way down at the bottom, you see the green down near the bottom. That's where Jerusalem is. And you can see this is on Paul's second missionary journey that he went from there all the way up following around to Thessalonica. Now, when he wrote this, he was actually in Corinth when he wrote this book back. It was a letter back to the Thessalonian, Thessalonian church. After Paul started the church, he wrote his first letter to the believers Within just a few months of leaving, in Acts, Luke recorded that Paul preached for three Sabbath days to the Jews in the local synagogue. And we'll see that in a minute. I'm going to try to set this up by showing you some history in Acts chapter 17. However, many scholars believe that Paul spent more than three months rather than three weeks well, I don't know what scholars want to believe. I just go off the living word of God. The living word of God said he was there for three weeks, and that's what I'm going to buy. But there's a reason why they think that, and I'll share that with you. He would have had to been there long enough to receive more than one offering from the Philippian church, and we can see that in Philippians 4, 15, and 16. I'll show that to you and let you decide on your own. It's one of those facts that really doesn't matter, but it's interesting the, the fact that he could start a church and then have to leave so suddenly, and the church thrived. Is I don't care if it was three weeks or three months. That's amazing that a church could survive when a leader has to leave, and they've got to carry on on their own. It's just an amazing testimony of what God can do. So let's look at the scripture in Acts so I can try to help you set it up. Acts 17, 1 through 5, he says, Now when they had passed through... Amphibolus and Am Apollyon I had these down so good before. They came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews, just like we heard. Verse 2, then Paul, as his custom was, went to them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures. Now, this is very interesting. It was Paul's custom. He always went to the Jews first. Why is that? Because Paul was a Jew, and he believed that Christ came for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles. But he was respectful of the Jewish people, and he always went to them first. So he goes to them, and he starts preaching to them through the Old Testament scriptures, which they had and they knew 
that Jesus was the Christ and is the Christ. And he was showing them through the living word all the scriptures that were pointing to Christ. Verse 3, explaining and demonstrating that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this is Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. This is what the Jewish people were really struggling with, is that he was really the Christ. They knew that he was coming, but they just didn't believe that Jesus was him. So many of them believed, but a lot of them did not. Remember, he's using Old Testament scripture to prove his point. There was over 300 passages that pointed to Christ's coming and Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection. Verse 4, and some of them were persuaded and a great multitude of devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. It's interesting how he puts in there, not a few. I'd have wrote many because there were a lot of prominent women in this time that really helped keep this church going. We got to hand it to our women and, and appreciate them for the things they do for the church. By the way, ladies, you did an amazing job yesterday. Uh, you guys thank our ladies who worked in that kitchen and did an absolute amazing job feeding a lot of people. It was, it was pure beauty. It was amazing. Yeah, go ahead, give man, give man, because they deserve it. They worked really hard, and it was just so good. So some of them were persuaded, but not all. Verse five it says, "But the Jews were not, but the Jews were not persuaded, becoming envious, and took, and some took, and took some of the evil men from the marketplace." And gathered a mob and set in the city an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, who sought to bring them out to the people. So apparently what's happening here is these guys, Paul, uh, Silas, and Timothy, were staying with Jason. They were over at your house, Jason. And so, you know, they, they heard the rumor going on, so they were told, hey, you got to get out of town. you got to get out of here. This, this mob's going to hurt you. Well, it was Jason's house. They come and they drug him out. And they took him before the courts and said, because, you know, this guy housed them and they're trying to create an uproar. And it's really interesting. They were saying, you know, hey, they're saying they're serving their, their king, Caesar. And Caesar is, is at that time were considered, the Caesars of this era were considered deity. I mean, like gods. And there can be no other king but King Caesar. You know, it's really interesting after all these thousands of years later, we have Jesus Christ as our Savior and our King. What did old Caesar get? Salad? I mean, that's it. We're known for a Caesar salad. That's, that's all he got. But it's good. I like Caesar. But the Jews who are not persuaded, they became envious and they took some evil men. You know what I love? The King James Version uses of the baser sort. I just think that's, that's a great word. They used some men of the baser sort. They were the lowest of the low. And they used them and got them stirred up to go into the city and cause trouble. Have we ever seen this happen here in the United States? Don't you remember just a year ago when all the rioting was going on? They were sending in people of the baser sort. You know, because they knew these people would be rioting and, and peacefully, but they would send these guys in there to start lighting cars on fire and breaking windows and doing things of the baser sort. It still happens even today. Well, that's what was happening today. 
Now I wanna switch a little bit and let's go to Philippians 4, 15 and 16, just a couple. I'll show you why theologians believe that Paul was there longer than three weeks. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the, of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, which is where this letter was wrote, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. So the Philippian church was supporting the Apostle Paul financially. Now, you know, I don't know. He, it says here that he received two offerings while he was there. Well, three weeks is a pretty short period of time to get two offerings from the Philippians over there because they didn't have the mail like we have it today. Somebody had to jump on a ship and ride it to quite a distance to get over there and then ride a horse or a buggy or something to get there to be able to bring the offering to him. But I'll leave that for you to debate in your own mind. I believe he was there for the three weeks. This is where the theologians believe that he had to be there longer. Paul's ministry in Thessalonica obviously touched not only the Gentiles, but Jews as well. Many Gentiles in the church had come out of idolatry. Well, we know that. We've heard all about that, which was not particularly a problem among the Jews. Why was it particularly not a problem? Because they were falling into adultery, into this idolatry themselves. So it really wasn't a big problem for them to see these guys. Paul wrote the first letter to the Thessalonian church from the city of Corinth around 50, A.D. 51. Just a few months after having preached in Thessalonica on his second missionary journey, upon leaving Thessalonica under distress, Paul, Silas, and Timothy traveled to Athens by way of Berea, which was probably 50 miles away to Berea. But after a short time in Athens, Paul felt need to receive a report from the newborn church in Thessalonica. So he sent Timothy back to serve as a minister to the new believers there. Paul wanted to check on the state of the Thessalonians' faith for fear of false teachers might have infiltrated their number. However, Timothy returned, soon returned with a good report, prompting Paul to pen 1 Thessalonians as a letter of encouragement to the new believers. I want you to think about it for a minute, this church. Because I've said and I will say that we got to look at this letter as if the Apostle Paul is writing it to us. He's writing it to the church in Tuolumne County. He's writing it to us. And so what they're going through is, you know, they started this new church, a bunch of new believers. You know, they haven't been in, the, in it for a long time. And all of a sudden there's a riot outside. And they're dragging poor Jason out of the house and throwing him into jail. And he had to put his house up for bond to get the money to get out of jail. And, you know, how easy would it be for a new Christian to go, hey, man, I like the whole idea of Jesus, but this is a little bit out of hand. I, I can't do this. That's what a lot of us would have done. But not this church. They hung in there. They stood and on to their faith that they had that Jesus is the Christ and he died for us. And if he died for us, then by golly, we're going to stand for him. And they couldn't destroy this church. And they were trying to. It's an amazing testimony of how a church in faith can stand. And yet the whole world around them seemed to be falling down. 
But ironically, they took it a step further. We're going to see this in this chapter and in the next chapter, actually more in, in, in uh, Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians. We'll see this a little bit more. They took it so serious. Jesus is coming. They just checked out. They said, hey, Jesus is coming. I don't have to go to work. I don't have to pay my house payment. I don't have to do anything. They just checked out. They stayed home. We're eating Twinkies. I don't know. They, they just checked out. And Paul comes back to him in the second letter and says, hey, you can't just check out. Yes, Jesus is coming, but you can't check out. You have to still live your life. You have to go to work. In fact, he says in 2 Thessalonians that if a man doesn't work, he ought not eat. If a man's not working, he should not eat. Because, you know, you've got to work to, to survive. And, and what kind of a testimony if you're just sitting at home eating Twinkies you're not a testimony to anybody. So he was, he was they, they took it to a whole new level, this believing in Christ and standing on their faith. They thought that Jesus was going to return. Now it's been there 2,000 years later. How much closer do you think we are to his return? And I'm going to show you in some scripture today that we're really close. There's not much left that needs to happen. And Jesus could come. Fact is, the last thing that really needed to happen was Israel becoming a nation. And that happened back in 1948. They became a nation, a sovereign nation. From that point on, Jesus could return at any point that he chooses. So this letter is not just for them. It's letter for us. We're doing good. I believe that we're strong. But we need to do more. We need to grow in our faith and we need to be strengthened in the power of the Holy Spirit. So why, this first, why is this letter to the first Thessalonians so important? Everyone would like to have some insight of what your future holds, right? Wouldn't you think? Wouldn't you kind of like to know what your future holds? That's why this is so interesting because it talks about our future much more when it comes to the end of the whole world. 1 Thessalonians provides Christians with the clearest biblical passage of the coming rapture of believers, an event that will inaugurate the seven-year tribulation. At the rapture, Christ will return for his people. The dead of Christ will rise first, while those who are still living will follow behind. All believers will meet Jesus in the air and be given eternity spent with the Lord. Hey, you, you better get one. Yes, we, we need it. We should be excited when we hear this. You're going to read this in 1 Thessalonians 4.16. When we get there, I'll explain it and I'll show you. So what's the big idea of Thessalonians? Impressed by their faithfulness of the Thessalonians in the face of persecution, like I just told you, Paul wrote to encourage the Christians in that community with the goal that they would continue to grow in godliness. Paul knew that the people had been exposed to false teaching from those in opposition to the way Jesus Christ and the grace of God. And Paul also understood that unless the young church continued to mature in its faith, the danger would only increase over time. You know, as long as we sit in this church, in our nice little country club, isn't it nice? It's warm, got hot coffee, there's probably donuts left, guys. You know, everything's good. What a great little country club we belong to. 
I think Satan probably beaks in the door and sees everybody sitting down and says, all right, they're doing good. Just let them stay inside that building. Don't bring the gospel of Jesus Christ out. That's why he doesn't bother us so much, because we're here. We're enjoying one another, and we're enjoying the gospel of Jesus Christ, and then we go home and go about our lives. We need to do more, and I believe that we will. With that in mind, Paul thought the people that any spiritual growth would ultimately be motivated by their hope in the ultimate return of Jesus Christ. And that is what I'm telling you as we go through this is what should motivate us to do more, is that Jesus is returning. He is returning, and we need to be excited about it, and we need, people need to see the excitement in our eyes, in our voice. Paul was never interested in simply telling people to pull up themselves by their bootstraps. For he knew that what ultimately inspired change was a life of consistently walking in the power of God's spirit. And so to a group of young Christians with questions and uncertainties, Paul offered hope of Christ's return. That's what this was about. He was offering them hope. Christ is going to return. And if we can get that in our heads, and we're going to show you some stuff here that's going to bring some reality of how close it potentially is for us, we should be excited. It isn't something to be afraid of, but it helps us to make better choices. Well, I think I'm just going to go drink today. You're not going to go to hell because you went and drank today. But Jesus may come, and you may miss him because we're making foolish decisions. It doesn't mean that we're not saved. But we have to make decisions. We have to constantly looking up. I want to make decisions every day that represents a, my Savior that's coming for me. It may be today. So I'm going to live that way today. And it'll help you live that way tomorrow and the next day. But we have to have that hope and we need to be reminded. And I think this is so timely for this church to be reminded. This is how First Thessalonians breaks down. I think there's, a, okay. Trials will come. That's going to be in chapters 1 through 3. Temptations will come. That's what chapter 4 is all about. And Jesus will come, chapters 4 and 5. That's the breakdown of 1 Thessalonians. And we will see the gospel cycle. Go to the next slide. This is what Paul is teaching, is the gospel cycle. And this is kind of what I was talking to you about, Bob, the other day. We get saved. We believe. That Jesus Christ truly is our Lord. Because the gospel goes out. It come to you and you believed. Now we model it. We begin to live the way we believe. Amen? We get to begin to live like we are Christians. Then the gospel is received by your relatives, your friends, the people that you know. Because they model, they see the way you're modeling your life. And they become to a place where they believe in Jesus Christ. And they accept Jesus Christ. Then they model it. And then the gospel goes out from them. It's a cycle. Remember the sin cycle? That was very depressing. This is the gospel cycle, and it works very much the same way. We, we hear, we believe, and we accept. We begin to model it and live it, and other people see it, and we tell them about it, and they receive it, and they begin to model it and live it, and then it goes around and around, and the church begins to grow. Can I get an amen? amen. That's, the, that's what the Apostle Paul is talking about. So let's go to the next slide. Are we living in the last days? People ask me this all the time. 
Are we living in the last days? Well, everything points to yes, we are. I believe that we are. And we shouldn't be afraid. That just shouldn't scare anybody. The younger guys, I remember hearing this when I was in church, their age, sitting in church, and it would kind of scare me. I don't want Jesus to come. I want to get married. I want to have kids. I want to have, hey, all those things are there for you. Live and grow, but believe that Christ could come. It's nothing scary. People ask me all the time, please understand, Paul was teaching this church in Thessalonica to look up with expectancy. And that was over 2,000 years ago. I think 2,000 years closer, we are that much closer to his coming. Think of this. More than 300 prophecies were filled that Christ would come the first time, and he did. Facts that are so specific that it could only been our Lord Jesus Christ, the coming king. He was to be born in Bethlehem. He was supposed to be born as a virgin. All these prophecies were made, and they were all fulfilled. 300 of them. Well, now between the Old Testament and New Testament, there are more than three times that many prophecies on his second coming. Nearly every single one has come to pass, has been fulfilled as prophet is told. Nearly nothing is left to be done. I'm telling you, he's coming, he's coming, and we got to believe that he is coming. So let me take you through a few scriptures before we jump into Thessalonians. Let's go to Matthew 24. I want to show you some things that Jesus spoke about his second coming. Verse 24, 6 says, And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Anybody watch the news? Anybody see Putin so boldly saying, I'm not afraid to use nuclear weapons on the West? Not afraid at all. No, I believe he was really serious. And you, you, you follow the news and then you see this balloon floating over the United States from China. They finally grew a pair and shot it down, finally. You know, like, come on, man. And they were taking pictures of strategic military bases from high in the sky. Don't tell me that there is not wars and rumors of wars. It's out there. Verse 7 says, For nation will rise up against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines, pestilences, earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Verse 9, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by the nation for my name's sake. Don't be scared. Verse 10, then many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. Verse 11, then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. People are quick to want to deceive. And because of lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Have you, have you noticed the lawlessness in our country? The lawlessness in a country causes people to grow cold. They think that God doesn't care. God is not orchestrating the, the raw lawlessness that's going on in our country, but we need to pay attention and look to him that he's coming and he's coming soon. Verse 13 says, But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Do you realize how close we are? 
to be able to witness to all the world is so close. Nearly half of the world's population does not have access to the internet yet because most internet options require extensive track and costly underground cables, leaving many of rural locations and nations without the internet. And while satellite and internet can reach these areas, go to the next picture. Elon Musk is hoping to send 42,000 of these satellites into space, 15 times the number of operation satellites in orbit today. It's a part of Starlink, the expansive constellation from Musk and SpaceX that hopes to bring the world to low latency and high speed internet, promising no more buffering and nearly instantaneous internet to every corner of the world, which means the Bible can be within reach of every person and all we have to do is get them a cell phone or a computer in their hand in their language, which is to be so easy with a cell phone that you can get any language that you want. Nearly every person will be able to see Jesus return simultaneously. And we're so close to that being right now. I remember thinking, oh, there's no way that people can see Jesus come all at one time. Well, is he going to be over there and over here? And no. It's this technology that's coming before us. This is why the church has to study and hear and prepare for what's to come. Listen to Luke's gospel on this same subject. We're looking at Luke 21, 13 through 20. I'll get moving on to Thessalonians here in a minute. Verse 13 says, but it will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. Just stop there for a minute. Difficult times is what he's talking about. Maybe I should have went up to 11 or 12 before I started with 13. It will turn out, these difficult times that the church is going through, will turn out as an occasion, as an opportunity to testimony. Exactly what you were talking with us about Saturday morning, Bob. Sometimes a bad experience can turn out to be the best testimony. The best testimony. Because we've experienced something real and something that matters. It's the love of God that is real and what truly matters. Verse 14, therefore settle in your hearts not to meditate beforehand on what you will answer. Oh, that is awesome. That should excite you. Don't worry about what you're going to say. The Lord will fill your mouth. Will fill your mouth. He'll give you the words to say. Why? Because you've read the living word of God. I can't memorize this, but yet things will come out of my mouth at the appropriate time when I can't believe that I actually remembered that when I needed it. That's not me. That's the Holy Spirit. That's bringing it right back to my mind, right when I need it. It's an amazing thing. And that's what Luke is showing us here. You don't, don't worry about what you're going to say. Don't worry about what you're going to say. God will fill your mouth. He will give it to you when you need it. He said, for I will give you a mouth of wisdom, which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. This is Jesus talking. So don't be afraid. Go, I can't, I can't be a witness. I can't tell. Oh, yes, you can. 
And your story is a powerful story. And we need to start telling it, start sharing. We all have a personal story of how we came to faith in Christ. Guess what? Nobody can dispute that story because it's yours. Verse 16, you will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. Well, that's a hard thing. But you know what? And listen to what he says in 17. And you will have be hated by all for my name's sake. Wow, Jesus. Verse 18, but not a hair of your head shall be lost. Not even the lack of my hair will be lost. Not a hair. God has got us. Take me out if you want to take me out. I know where I'm going to be when the day ends. I know that I'm going to be in heaven with my Savior. We win. I don't care if they hold us up in a firing line in this country and begin to kill us because we profess Christ. Let it be. Because we win. We have eternal life, and we need to start walking in that eternal life today. He says, verse 19, By your patience, possess your souls. By your patience, Calm down a little bit. Don't let your souls be carried away by anxiety, depression, bad things that happen that you don't understand. Don't let, don't, he says, calm down. Let your patience possess your souls. I am with you. I have got you. And we need to start living there. Verse 20. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by its enemies, then know that its dissolution is near. Hmm. This is happening right now and has led to developed to a developed environment of Russian, Iranian, Iranian and Islamic alliance, just as prophecy said. That has moved forward from where today Russia, Iran and other acclimating Islamic forces are on the ground fighting together, training right now, just in Iraq and Syria, right off the borders of Israel. And also where Syria and Israel share the disputed border of the Golan Heights. Right now, they're already preparing. They're fighting and training right now to take Israel. And we think that the end times aren't near. Wars, rumors of wars, false religions, false prophets, all these things will exist. These are all happening right now. I know you don't like watching the news, but remember, we need to know the time that we live in. But there is one prophecy about the future I urge you not to ignore nor dismiss as nonsense. And that is only spoken by our Lord and Savior. Jesus warned that someday this world as we know it will come to an end, not because of war or natural disaster, because, but because God will intervene and bring it to an end in his time. We do not need to worry. The future is in God's hand. And he alone will bring the end of the world. And we can see that in 2 Peter chapter 3. Good place to study. So you guys ready to get into Thessalonians? I got to do 10 verses in seven minutes. Verse one, 
Paul and Silas and Timothy to the church of Thessalonians in God the Father our and Lord Jesus Christ. This is very typical of Paul's opening to a book. He says, you know, to the church of Thessalonians from God. How about we say to Tuolumne Community Baptist Church, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and Lord Jesus. Verse 2, to give thanks to our God always for you, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in sight, in sight of our God and Father. Verse 4, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. Verse 5, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. So what's he saying? They modeled the life of Christ, living it before him. You guys watched us. I hope that you're able to model what I do, and I hope that I present myself well in the world to where I'm worthy of being modeled. I want to be more like that. I want to be like the Apostle Paul. I want to be like my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He said, you people knew and you saw. Verse 5, for the gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power. I think I read that. Verse 6, but you became followers of us. And the Lord, having received the word in must affliction with joy and the Holy Spirit. So the Apostle Paul is referring to the battle that's going on outside their doors, the riots that were, were happening right around their church, right while this was all happening. Verse 7, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Archaea, who believe. How about to all in Tuolumne County in California? We become examples of how we believe. Verse 8, for you, the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia, but in Archaea, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that you do not need to say anything. Their faith was well known. People were seeing what they believed. They were seeing how they lived. It's an amazing testament to this church, and it should be an amazing testament to our church that people see what we do, what we say, that we live the way that we try to live, believing. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I take it everywhere that I go. Verse 9, for they themselves declare, for they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living God. He's, he's commending them. He knew that a lot of these Greeks were idol worshipers. And he knew even some of the Jews had fallen into that sin of idolatry. And he was commending them. I commend this church. A lot of us have come. I've come out of a sinful world. I know you have too. But I choose to worship the one true God. Verse 10. And to what? For his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us, from the wrath to come.
wow. That's where it ends. And every, every chapter in, in the first, these five books of the first Thessalonians ends with something about Christ's coming. And things we need to watch for. Terrible persecutions of Christians throughout the world. You, if, if you're not paying attention, there are Christians that are dying for their faith today. Being drug out of their homes, drug out of their churches, drug out of their, their hidden churches and being killed. Earthquakes, famines, plagues spreading through the earth. COVID-19 was just an example of what could come. It was just an example. The gospel preached to every nation and every person. We are so close to that. Here's one that we haven't talked about. One world currency. One world money. Do you realize how close we are? Our buddy Biden is pushing hard in behind the scenes. For one world currency. Yeah. And it's, it's going to be to the point where you don't need to carry money. You swipe a card. Everything's credited to you. Money's going to be, and you'll be able to do it anywhere in the world. And other governments are working with America for this to happen. And this is told in prophecy that there would be a one world government, a one world order that is coming. And it is coming. Well, do you have to be afraid that you accidentally took the chip? No. You know, the shot that we got for COVID, that, that didn't, you didn't, they didn't implant a chip in you. And no, you can't by accident take the chip and the mark of the beast. It's going to be a choice. You're not going to be able to buy or sell. And I don't even know if I think the church, the rapture of the church will come long before that ever comes. But I don't know that it won't. We need to know it and be prepared for it and to be able to say, no, I won't. Well, then you'll die. We'll go to prison, whatever, whatever you feed me, whatever. We need to know that it's coming. The one world market, a digital currency. Technology is nearly to the point where every person simultaneously will be able to see Jesus coming. It's not far that we'll be able to simultaneously spread the gospel out of this church to the world. Because Edward's going to help me set that up in time. We got a little money, but we got to get some things done. But that's what we're looking for. To be able to broadcast right out of this building to the rest of the world. Why not? If we have the capability and the technology is out there for us to use, we should be using it to get the gospel out. Amen? Every way that we can. It's not just about us. It's about our community. It's about our county, our state, our country. We're blessed to be here, and you better know how blessed we are. But there are people that are trying to take it away. And I'm not turning political on you. This is biblical end-time things, that they want to take our freedoms away, our freedom of choice. Even our freedoms of not being able to help our children choose who they are. It's crazy out there. It's, to me, there's still only two sexes. Yeah. Praise God. Yeah. Praise God. Tony, would you come back? So I gave you a lot to think about. This is just the opening of 1 Thessalonians. Next week we'll be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And it gets so interesting. You're welcome to read ahead and check it out.